What the hell is the name of this song? Is this Wayne's World? The award-winning Evan Grant? I can't even count anymore on my fingers and toes. Kevin Sherrington. Kevin Sherrington, crowd number one. Barry Horn. He tried to get me in mid-chew. Good morning and welcome everybody to Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW podcast. Also, the Dallas Morning News. I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Barry Horn, and you're sounding like a soprano. We're both sounding like sopranos today because we have the voice of the Dallas Mavericks on the line, don't we? Yes, we do. And is he here now? Is it is Mark Followell with us? Come in. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Who couldn't hear you? Mark, thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, it's, it's great to have you here. Evan Grant is not here. He is he is distraught over the fact that he is not here to uh, be on the podcast with you. He's, of course, in New York with the Rangers and the Yankees. Uh, but, you know, what does he know about basketball anyway? Uh, and so we want to talk about the Dallas Mavericks and potential free agency here, or not potential, but real sure. free agency coming up. Well, so the before we go any farther, can yes. I just tell you that I even looked up a baseball note for today's podcast that uh, I was planning on sharing with Evan. Wow, well, let, us have, let us have it. Okay, so, so by my best skim through baseball reference this morning, I believe that if the Rangers win one of their next two games, they will set a new record for the team in terms of their fastest to 50 wins in a season. Wow. In 2012, they made it to 50, 50 wins in their 79th game. Uh, ev- and they're ev- setting on 76 games, going, 76 games played going into tonight in New York. Evan usually relies on John Blake for that kind of information. <laughs> did, you, did, you look, did you go season by season looking up schedules to do that, Mark? Well, I looked at about I, I just looked at about their five or six best seasons and just sort of assumed that I mean you know when they were winning seventy games or sixty something <laughs> games in the past I didn't need to bother with that so no no they had some really hot the five starts or six best seasons yeah. So, yeah, yeah. no so, I think yeah, you're right 2012 was their best uh, was their best start in that regard that is correct 2012 was their best start uh, it okay. is amazing what that uh, what the Rangers are doing so far isn't it it is great I love every second of it it's fantastic and. Uh, I guess I guess my nature is to not let my expectations run too wild, but uh, it's hard not to do that right now with those guys. Mark, have you ever secretly wanted to be a Rangers broadcaster? No, never really secretly wanted to do that. Just I enjoy the team, and obviously I think anybody who does play-by-play, I mean, at some point in time in your life you were uh, very much into listening to baseball on the radio. I think anybody who has play-by-play leanings probably got a lot of their start in terms of listening to that. So. At Barry and I have talked about this before in past interviews. I, I grew up listening to Mark and had immense respect for his work. I'm sad I never really had much of a chance other than one time to meet him, but never really a chance to, to pick his brain about things. But, uh, you know, immense respect and loved how he called the game. Just was, was the perfect combination of knowledge and enthusiasm and support for the home team and, and just made it all come together in, in one great presentation and uh, well, you, you know to make the world of him you're talking about mark holzer of course and i can tell you because i've had hundreds and thousands of conversations with him he was as nice a man as he was as uh, talented a broadcaster you know and i've heard that from everybody so that's uh, that's a wonderful thing to hear no no doubt about that and like i said i mean that's just that's that's the voice that i grew up on and we all uh, we all remember those i mean i've heard eric talk about you know the guys that he listened to in new york doing the mets and you know, Brad Sham is from Chicago, and so he talks about listening to Jack Brickhouse, and, you know, this just on and on and on. So, as you can tell, yeah, pretty much every play-by-play guy at some point in time, you're heavily influenced by the baseball man on the radio that you heard growing up. 
Okay, let's let's get let's talk a little uh, NBA, a little Dallas Mavericks. You got it. Of okay, course. is there any chance you see foresee Dirk not being a Dallas Maverick next season? Well, normally I would probably immediately jump in and say there's no chance. Since Dirk has himself said that the one thing he doesn't want to do is be part of a major teardown rebuilding project, and since there always is some uncertainty about what lies ahead, I mean, I feel pretty good going into free agency, but there is always the chance that that you go after one thing and then another thing doesn't work out and it sets in motion a chain reaction. So I think that it is extremely unlikely, but given Dirk's one little caveat that he's placed on it, which is, I don't want to be part of starting with four the rook- with four rookies on the floor with me. Then you know that's that would be the one scenario where obviously uh, the parties could come together, the Mavs and Dirk, and decide that it's best to go in a different direction. But I think that the chances of that are uh, very, very, very low, as in you know, well down into the single-digit percentage chances. I would think though that Dirk would not object to playing with Mike Conley and Hassan Whiteside. Uh, I don't think he would object to that, Kevin. No, I don't. <laughs> so if that were going to happen, uh, though, uh, for that to happen, uh, that means that uh, Chandler Parsons would not return as a Maverick. Uh, what do you think of the po- of those possibilities? Well, I certainly think that the stage was sort of set for the summer to play out this way whenever Donnie said on the exit interview days that, of course, they were going to be looking into bringing him back, but obviously – that the financial concerns relative to his health would play a factor into it. And so I'm sure that that's something that they've spent the last several weeks looking at. I think I talked to you guys about this right at the end of the season. And one of the things that we discussed then is that this year with the Mavs, I mean, there's everybody has cap room in the NBA. And so there's going to have to be a lot of work that's done so you can hit the ground running on July the 1st. You're going to have to do a lot of work in the lead-up to it because you can't uh, you can't be caught waiting around and you can't be caught unsure of yourself. I mean, you've got to know where you want to strike first because so many teams have money, and I think it's going to start going pretty quickly. So it sounds like that they've got a plan. It sounds like they've got a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, presumably. But, yeah, from the Parsons perspective, I mean, I think that there's certainly enough out there at this point that one would have to think that, that he's going to entertain offers from elsewhere. And, uh, you know, we'll see how the timing works and how the decisions other people make work as it relates to whether or not he's back here or not. Who, who do you think will be hot for Chandler Parsons? Orlando. I mean, since he's from there. Right. Um, you know, I think Denver is a possibility. I've heard that name, heard that team name come up in the past. And then there's been reports that both L.A. franchises would be interested. Now the Clippers are in a different situation from a cap perspective. That's one team that doesn't go into this offseason with much in terms of room unless they were to jettison some salary. And if they did that, that means that they would be jettisoning some pretty important players to the mix. So between uh, between Griffin and Paul and Jordan, you know, there's not a whole lot of room for maneuverability for them there without making some sort of trade. But at least I've heard his name mentioned. But I would think that, that Orlando would be the top name for Parsons and for another team to look at him because of the natural tie, that's where he's from. I don't think he would object to being in L.A., do you? No, I don't think so at all. <laughs> Wasn't he there recently? I think I saw on his, uh, on his Twitter and Instagram. That's been one of, uh, one of the places he's been over the course of the, of the summer. I think I saw that he was in Italy recently on vacation, but there was some time spent in L.A. So, 
yeah, I would certainly think that's a possibility. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting to me this whole uh, situation because you know we, of course, have just talked on and on and on over the years about why the Mavericks have not been able to attract a marquee free agent, and, and you know, to me, it's not so hard to see. Uh, and I don't really blame uh, the Mavericks for it. Uh, you know, what are you going to do to make people come? I mean, I, I think Mark has, uh, Cuban has done everything possible to attract right. uh, these these guys. You know, some of it's some of it's the fact that you know it's not on. I think not being on a coast has some significant factor. And I think right. the the fact that you had your superstar is in his uh, twilight years. And I think that's a, a, a huge factor with these guys when they decide where they go. And, and it's just as you. We're bringing up a while ago. Everybody said, "Oh, this will be good for the Mavericks because the cap's going up." Well, the cap goes up for everybody, and now everybody yeah. has more money, including to spend. the Lakers. So why do you know? Because because here's the deal: Mike Conley is the best point guard available, correct? Right. Uh, yeah. And Hassan Whiteside is certainly one of the two or three best center prospects available. You know, right. Everybody's going to want these two guys, uh, and so you have to ask yourself, uh, why uh, would they come here? I know that. Uh, um, uh, our, our friend Tim McMahon uh, tweeted the other day uh, that uh, the reason that Conley might be interested in coming here would be because of Rick Carlisle. And while I have immense respect for Rick Carlisle, uh, I, I feel like he's one of the two or three best coaches in the NBA. I'm not sure how much of a factor that is in free agent decisions. I'm going to go to this place because of the head coach. Well, I mean, I don't know Mike Conley personally, and I think probably these things have to be judged on a case-by-case basis. I do believe that Mike is a guy who's about winning because he's been able to taste that to some degree in Memphis. I mean, they've been, you know, they're overlooked, but they've been pretty good for a long stretch of years now. Uh, I believe it's five or six straight years in the playoffs for Memphis, which includes uh, an historic upset of San Antonio when Memphis was an eight seed and the Spurs were a one seed. That helped the Mavericks on their way to the title, as a matter of fact in 2011, and then a trip to the Western Conference Finals as well in 2013. So I do think that Mike's about winning, and obviously Rick is about that, and the Mavs organization is about that. So, so my answer to your question and your thought process there, Kevin, is uh, I guess you just have to, it would just have to depend on the player and it have to depend on a case-by-case basis. I would like to think, though, that uh, that, that would be a selling point for a guy like Conley. But, uh, you know, a lot of other teams have good coaches and money to offer and good situations as well. And, and teams that are closer to winning as well. Uh, you know, the Mavericks, yeah. the Mavericks can win. There's no question about that. But it's going to re- require a major retooling to do that. You'd have to convince, you know, Mike Conley that, yeah, we're going to bring in Whiteside too. And, uh, and we got some, we got some uh, good, uh, you know, plan Bs here. And, and we're, we're going to make a real charge. It, the problem for me is just that um, – I just don't know how you talk these guys into it. I mean, it, 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 it I, I kind seems of wondered along along the idea of you just mentioned Whiteside as well. I mean, it certainly isn't out of the realm of possibility that uh, you know in the past we've seen that free agents on different teams will decide to come together right. in one place. So, so maybe that's also part of the whole selling point and part of the process that's going to come down here later this week is that there's going to be able to be a meeting of the minds and. Two players decide that they want to come together here in Dallas and, you know, be part of the bridge to the future for the franchise. So, I mean, you know, your points are very, very valid. And for the Mavs at this point, I mean, it's it's a uh, summer of great uncertainty that they're about to walk into. But but just to kind of answer your questions and and delve into your thought process and and what we've all got to look at is I guess you just got to hope that – that on in this particular case, in this particular year, the forces are coming together and, and the right people 
are free agents and the right offers being made and their interest is in the right things that makes Dallas the most attractive fit. But there's no question that you have to go into it, obviously, with some some level of trepidation because of having gone down this road before and it not worked out as well as everybody would have hoped. Well, you're sounding very optimistic, and I guess there's there's no other way to look at it or no better way to look at it because if they don't sign uh, Whiteside, if they don't sign Conley, what will this team look like next season? Can, can you- Great question. I guess then we're going to find out what plan B and plan C are at that point. Um, you know, I mean, I, to answer your question, Barry, I don't know. And that does open the door of, you know, some of the less, far less appealing possibilities of do you have to look at, you know, getting younger and, and venturing into that rebuild phase? I don't think that's what would happen. I think that you would have to go through your second and third and fourth choices before you got all the way down to that. So clearly there are reports out there, and, and I always feel like where there's smoke, there's fire, and there are reports pointing to what their first couple of choices are. But I would certainly think that uh, the way we've seen the Mavs do business in the past is that they have been pretty smart about having a plan put together where and when plan A doesn't work out, they're able to scramble around and figure something else out. And that happened in the, in the wake of the Dwight Howard thing a couple of years ago when they went the Jose Calderon, Monte Ellis, et cetera, route. And it ended up, unfortunately, for them having to happen last year where they really had to scramble after five days of thinking they had a deal with DeAndre Jordan. And that didn't work out. And they were able to react quickly and, and cobble together a team that was able to squeak into the playoffs in the Western Conference. So, I mean, the answer to your question, Barry, is I don't know. It's just going to depend on what B, C, and D plans are. But I guess one thing that I'm comforted about, comforted about and it's sad that you have to think this way because they've had to adjust so many times in the past, but that's one thing that they've shown they're pretty good at doing is that they are good at figuring out another plan, an alternative, when the best late plans don't work out. Well, Zaza Pachulia worked out pretty well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another perfect I, example. I mean, Darren Williams and Zaza Pachulia would be an example of you know the, the things that they had to do last summer whenever, whenever the, the bottom fell out with the DeAndre change of heart of course you have to wonder how many times you can do that and and and, and here's the thing yeah. with me and this is what i wrote um uh, as a matter of fact in the on the mavericks last playoff game last game of the season was that maybe it's time here to throw in the towel and uh, and you let if and i know this sounds like sacrilege but if dirk wants to go you don't want him to go but if he wants to go you say we well, certainly understand but now's the time but, but maybe you should want him to go well because now's the time because the, the draft is considered to be very deep next year. Uh, this was not a good draft. Uh, the next year is supposed to be a very good draft. That's the history of the draft, though. Well, Every is, year. It's, it's always, always a, next, it's next always year's next draft year. is the better It's always draft. a draft where you, where you didn't have You're a good right draft. That's true. It's that, always about next year. Or, yeah. or in the old days, I remember the Mavericks. If, there, if the Mavericks had the fourth pick in the draft, we would hear Rick's son say, it's a three-player draft. Yeah, it's a three so if they had the seventh player, if they had the seventh pick in the draft, you'd go, "Oh my God, it's a six-player draft." Yeah, no question. Right. So you know, if you had, uh, you know, I, I know here's the idea, that, and I know that's what a lot of fans want to do. They're, they're of course, most fans want Dirk to stay. I, you know, I would like to see Dirk stay. He's he is the, in my estimation, he's certainly. I, I've lived in this market for 31 years. He is the greatest uh, superstar in the market that entire time. Uh, in my mind, uh, not only from a, 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 a standpoint of how he played, but just of who he is, uh, and and such a tremendous individual, you know. So so he he is uh, is an icon in this market. But I think 
you know, if you're looking for what's best for the organization and for the team, uh, should they go ahead and do this, allow him to go someplace else if he wants to, and, and to chase another well, ring? Well, well, you keep saying allow. Why not push him to go to another team? You, you, you... Well, I don't, I mean, I don't line up with that way of thinking at all. I mean, on, on a couple of levels. I mean, number one, from the dirt perspective, and I do think that this probably needs to, to be reiterated, I don't feel like that, that this point is made strongly enough, is this is what Dirk wants. He wants to be here. This is what he thinks is best for him. Whereas I know a lot of people say, oh, well, it would be great to see him get another opportunity to win a ring elsewhere. He's got one, and because of relationships and family and comfort and desire and how his mind works and you know what he finds as the best situation for him, I mean, this is what he wants. Could the scenario that we talked about earlier where a teardown took place and he felt like it was best to go elsewhere? Yes, but I don't. But that isn't at all what he wants. What he wants is for this to be as a competitive situation as reasonably possible and to be part of it until the end of his career for, like I said, relationship with the coaches and the medical staff and family and comfort and desire and relationship with the fans and, and just all of that aspect of things. And in my opinion, I don't think it would be the best way to go that direction just because, I mean, it's a Hall of Fame career that we're watching here. And I'm just not in any sort of rush to see stepping back from where they are, even if it's competing for sixth or seventh or whatever in the Western Conference. I don't think that you need to be in a rush to end that era of your existence. And I know that what people will say is, well, you don't want to get stuck in the middle in the NBA. You want to be either really good or really bad. And people say that. However, I think when you look at the actions of most, until their hand gets forced to do so, until they have no other choice, most people will will behave in such a way that even though they may say it's not the best thing in the world to be in that range of being sixth or seventh in the conference and never being you know, good enough to compete for a title or bad enough to get a really, really good draft pick and get a great player, but actions speak louder than words to me. And I don't see too many teams unless their hand is forced on that, behave that way. I mean, people ultimately feel like, okay, it's better to win some than to be amongst the worst because once you tear it down, then there's no guarantees of getting back up. And for every success story of a teardown and a quick rebuild and a build to a really good place, there's another story that goes along about getting stuck and mired in in NBA Siberia for a long, long, long time. And we lived it, as a matter of fact, right here with the Mavs back in the 90s. Well, no, no question about that. And you look at the Lakers and you look at the Celtics. These are organizations, historic organizations. You know, who would have thought, you know, 20 years ago that the, the Lakers and the Celtics would have struggled as much as they had to return themselves yeah. to where they where they were? Uh, yeah, there's no question you had to have a lot of luck here uh, for this all to happen. Uh, look, but let me ask you this. What do you think that constitutes a, a teardown for Dirk? Because I think what most fans who, who are who maybe leaning that way are saying they would just like to see more of Justin Anderson, more of Dwight Powell, uh, more of, of the young guys play, getting playing time and developing. If you've got Wes Matthews and, and you've got Dirk and you've, and you've got uh, – and I'm, I'm going to leave Chandler Parsons out of this mix. Uh, but if, you, if you've got these other guys and you're playing them, it, you, do you think that's enough for Dirk? Well, it would depend on what else you added in at the point guard and center position. I mean, those are the hardest positions to fill, so it's probably no coincidence that that appears to be things that are at the top of the Mavs priority list going into free agency. So it would just depend on how much experience I think that you had there, be it through free agency or a trade. I mean, I think we've seen that, that Dirk, you know, is okay with the fact 
that, I mean, obviously he would like it to be as good as possible, but for all of the reasons that I mentioned earlier and the reasons why he wants to be here, I mean, I think Dirk feels like that, that just going forward as best as they're reasonably able to do is something that he's okay with. I mean, I think he understands the realities of the situation and the difficulties of team building and reaching the highest levels in the NBA. So, you know, without knowing what the rest of the roster looked like, I mean, I hate to keep going back to kind of what he said in the past, but I think that it would take being in a place where you would be starting. I mean, I guess you wouldn't start four of the rookies since if you went with a really young person, young player view of the roster, that one of the players would be Justin Anderson, and he's a second-year guy. Oh, well, we, we just, were, I just think a, when you, when you say player. rookies, you, you just mean young players, right? I mean, Well, I'm trying, I, maybe I'm being a little bit too literal. I mean, right. I'm, I'm, only, I'm saying that because that's what Dirk said. Right. So, yeah. so perhaps I'm being too literal in what he's saying. But that, to me, sounds like, I mean, I'm going to take, I mean, one thing we've known, guys, about covering Dirk over the years is he doesn't really mince words, and he's pretty honest about what he thinks and what he has to say. And so, so again, I'll be the first to concede. Maybe I'm taking his comments as, as too literally, but, but, I mean, he keeps saying rookies. So, so maybe you're right. Maybe, it's, maybe that means first- or second-year players. I don't know. But, but I think that, uh, like a lot of things, if we saw what the roster looked like on July the 10th, then and it was a lot of young players. Then we would know that 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 would be the scenario that Dirk's talking about. I think if we saw it in front of us, we would know then what he means, and there wouldn't be too much ambiguity right. about it. Yeah, I don't think there's you know from my standpoint, uh, and I'm kind of on the side of saying let's see what Dwight Powell and Justin Anderson can do. Uh, if you're a French playoff team and and you're constantly remaking the the roster every year to be a French playoff team. Uh, I, you know, to me, uh, I, I realize you're you're playing out the the Dirk years here, and 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 mm-hmm. and I don't have a big problem with that either, because you know how many more years is he going to play anyway? So it's probably one or two more, and and you know, and then as you said, it's easy to talk about tearing it down until you have to actually live through it, and and I know yeah. that's the that's the problem for Mark Cuban is that he's sitting down there on the floor. And the last thing he wants to see is that you know that seventeen you know and and sixty five record uh, come up. You know that's that's a miserable thing to sit through uh, night in and sure. night out. So I, I get all that, I, and and I'm not. Uh, I, uh, I'm th- you know and it's a di- that's the problem. It's a difficult thing to say. Okay, we're going to get Dwight Powell and Justin Anderson more playing time, and they're going to play a more significant role. Now, what does that mean though? It's a little bit like we were talking about with the Rangers a while ago, trying to get Jerks and Profar four games a week. You know, you can say you're going to do that until Adrian Beltre says, no, I'm not sitting down. Uh, right. or, or, or you don't want to offend him. You don't want to offend Prince Fielder because they're real presences in the clubhouse. So uh, it, it, with or the map. Prince Fielder starts hitting the ball well like he has lately. Like I mean, that he makes has, the decision more difficult, too. Yes, it does. So, so you've got those situations developing here. And, you know, and, 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 you know, and I know we say about Rick Carlisle all the time, well, you know, he doesn't like to play rookies. Well, listen, there's not a coach in the NBA that likes to play rookies. You know, <laughs> n- nobody wants to, to put their career on the line for rookies, right? I mean, that's just not right. going to – going to happen so uh you, you know I, I think you know last year he showed he would play uh, justin anderson toward the end of the year when he started to, to play well and show some real energy i, I think yep. from a, from a dirk standpoint to me with him is that as we as we know he, he doesn't suffer fools very gladly on the floor if a, when a guy is not doing what he's supposed to do you know dirk's a good teammate but but he's he's not going to be happy about that i wouldn't be happy about it either you know i want a guy sure. to know what he's supposed to be doing on the floor at all times uh, and so, but you know, with young guys, rookies, second year guys, you're going to have, 
you know, mistakes made and problems. And so that's going to be an issue. I just think it's easy to say, give those guys some more time. But in practice, how do you really do that? How does that really come about? Yeah, there's, there's certainly challenges to it. And, and the thing about it is, is when, you know, in the case of, for example, and I think the Mavs made a really nice pick in A.J. Hammonds last week. I do think that there's some intrigue there about Dwight Powell. But when you're talking about players who were drafted, and by the way, I think those guys were one pick apart. I think Powell was the 45th pick of the draft two years ago in 2014, and Hammonds the other night was the 46th pick. And so when you're dealing with players like that, um, every situation, of course, is different. And the coaching and the player development aspect of things matter. But if you were to look at players selected in the 40s over the long haul, if you were to take 10 or 15 years' worth of drafts, the number is going to be around 25 to 30 percent are going to carve out a career of at least being four or five years of an NBA rotation player. So you're talking about long odds getting players like that to develop. Uh, that doesn't mean that I don't think it's worth investing the energy and time in it. But just keep in mind that whenever you're putting young players of that caliber on the floor that were selected there, of course, personnel decisions and, and personnel people miss on these things all the time. However, just the long haul of history will show that players selected in those positions much more often than not don't pan out than do pan out. So that's another thing that you have to look at well is that, that you're looking at uh, you know, a roster that, that the young players that they have on there are a guy who was taken in the 20s, a couple of guys who were taken in the 40s, assuming that they do end up re-signing Dwight Powell. Remember that he's a restricted free agent this offseason. But, but Mark, the reason, the reason they have all these players is because they haven't torn it down. It, so if you, don't, yeah. if, you don't, if you don't tear it down, these are the players who are going to be on your roster. But, yeah, but, I agree with you on that. But I'm, the, not, I'm, I'm not debating that. I guess I, what I'm just saying is that whenever you put these these young guys on the floor, just understand that that the the history will tell us that it's a greater likelihood they won't work out than that they will work out. I guess is the point. I'm I think that's absolutely, and and this is why to me the NBA is just the the worst as far as trying to develop a team from from the draft or really from any standpoint than any other sport. You, know, you, you need fewer players, and if you get one or two great players, you're, you're on the road. That's true. Yeah, but you even, one or two great players, because think about, think about in the NFL, the best player can only play on one side of the ball. In baseball, you're only going to get – the best hitter is going to get five opportunities over the course of – four or five opportunities to hit over the course of a game, or a great pitcher is only going to start once every five days. Uh, in hockey, the best guys are on the ice for 25 to 30 minutes. If you get a really, really good defenseman who's on your power play and on your penalty kill and is out there trying to stop the other team's number one line, so 25 to 30 minutes of ice time. Whereas, especially when you get to the playoffs, one or two great players can be on the floor for 85% of the game in the NBA, and they'll draw so much attention. And it's amazing how... Uh, you know, when, when, when players who are selected in later spots in the draft go to these players with really good with, – go to these teams, I'm sorry, with really, really good players, how all of a sudden they're able to bring out the best in them. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that San Antonio has had some success in the draft by getting guys down in the 20s because those guys get the opportunity to go play for the last 20 years with Tim Duncan and be coached up by Greg Popovich or why later draft picks have succeeded in Golden State – because they get the opportunity to play alongside Steph Curry. I mean, I do think that has something to do with it as well. But San Antonio, all those years, uh, you know, uh, Tim Duncan was the first player taken in the draft. David Robinson yeah. was, 
the first player taken in the draft. Yeah. Well, those other guys were all pretty high too. Tony Parker was a high. You know, they they had a, no. Tony Parker was not a high. Pick. No, I think he yeah, was. Tony pick. Parker was at the end of the first round. He was, he was, the, well, he's a first round pick. Oh well, yeah, but we're talking. He was the two. Oh no, I think you're saying. But but and it's certainly the same thing in Oklahoma City. If you looked at the the guys that they had, and I I still don't understand the Serge Ibaka trade myself. But I I, I understand it from the standpoint of they're trying to clear cap space here. But I think that's a significant blow to that team to lose him. Well, I, I listened I to Mark Stein on the radio today saying it was a genius trade. I just, uh, you know, I've heard. I got to say, Kevin, I've heard more people. Even though we think of the success and how important Ibaka has been to what they've done, I've heard more people in favor of the trade from the Oklahoma City perspective than not. Yeah, I just, uh, and it's just amazing to me. I, I guess just because I can't get past the fact the guy's a great shot blocker. He even developed a three-point shot. You know, he kind of gave you something besides uh, the, the offense that the that the other two guys give you. So, uh, I think I think the reason people see the the idea that the Ibaka trade has the potential to pay dividends for Oklahoma City is one, his shot blocking is going down yeah, over the is. last couple of years, and some of that is the way they're asking him to play, and his offense is becoming more and more of a stretch four and shooting more threes rather than operating around the basket and being a putback guy or a roll guy and getting dunks and things like that. So, so it does seem like that the transformation of Ibaka as a player from, from what he was to what he is now is, is, is while one thing, that's where the league is going, and that's what you want out of your fours, right. but it's also sort of made him a little bit more expendable because they've got other bigs there and they've got a chance to, to bring in younger blood. I mean, they've got a chance to bring in Oladipo, who potentially replaces Dion Waiters as a guy off, as a, as a really good combo guard off the bench who can score a little bit more efficiently than Waiters can. You get a young player in Sabonis as well. So, um, you know, there's more people, to, 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 to the point of the discussion, more people I've heard have been in favor of that trade from a local and city perspective. Than well, well, we'll see. Now, let me ask you this. I, I don't think there's any question that Kevin Durant comes back, uh, at least on a short-term deal. Oh, well, well, just let me interrupt you for one second. You'd have yeah. to also think Kevin Durant signed off on that trade. Yeah, I, I would have to think so, too. Is that why in the world would Kevin Durant want to go to Golden State? To be in position to win a championship. I get that. I get that. But he came very I mean, close easy. this year, right, yeah, with his team. And he and he's and there's no question that he's one of. The, to me, it's like, who's going to shoot on the Golden State if you got Kevin Durant on that team as well? I mean, to me, it's like he'd have to be feeling. I would see this maybe for Kevin Durant if he were later on in his career. And, and guys are more susceptible to saying, listen, I, I'm chasing this ring. I'll subjugate my ego here so I can win a ring, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin Durant is still, you know, in that conversation, the top three or four players in the league. And I'm going to go to the, the place where I, the, the, the number one or two player in the league is there and a really good player in the backcourt with him, a guy who's, who's lighting it up all the time as well. I just don't understand. You know, I, I don't know that Kevin Durant's going to want to go there because uh, his ego would say, I can make a difference on a team. I don't have to be a part of this team. I can make, I'm can make. i a difference maker on a team. Well, I agree that he's going to stay in Oklahoma City, number one. I don't think that he's going to go elsewhere. The argument would be is you know, pursuing a championship and realizing that I, that I know that you talk about you know, Durant's relative youth. But keep in mind, I mean, we're talking about a guy who he's going into his 10th year. This upcoming season is that correct? Yeah, it's amazing. Is, it, is his ninth year or his tenth year? Yeah, off the top of my head, it sounds like that either one would be good for me. <laughs> sure, and I mean, I think he's going to be twenty-eight years old in September. So, so you know, when you're dealing now with all these guys who are coming out after one year of college, and he's had some then, injuries. Yeah, yeah, and he's had some injuries, and I think that uh, you know he realizes that that thirty is not as far away as 
as it used to be for him. And so, so even though he's in the prime of his career, knowing how important rings are to your legacy and knowing how few true opportunities you have to do it, and to see, you know, a few years ago they were the number one seed and then Westbrook gets hurt in the first round. And then they're 3-1 up this year and they melt down to the Western Conference Finals. I think that, that uh, you know, there probably is a little bit of impatience of not being able to figure it out in Oklahoma City. And that's why he would entertain the idea of Golden, going to Golden State. And I don't think that at this point it would be that difficult for him to subjugate his ego. Because I think Durant understands that over the long haul and how history reflects on you, once you've won one, history looks at you a whole lot differently. And he's had to endure a lot of questions and a lot of disappointment because they haven't been able to win a ring so far in Oklahoma City. Did so you... I don't think he goes anywhere, but I don't think that, that it's, it's way off the mark to suggest why he would take a long, hard look, at least, at going elsewhere. Barry wanted to say oh, something. I just want to say Durant's rookie season was 2007, so I'm trying to do the, the numbers. 2007, on. so he's about to go into his 10th year. Yeah. Thank you for doing that math, I mean, Mark. We that, appreciate kind of crazy, that. Kind of crazy when you think about it, that Kevin Durant now is now we're going to be saying he's a 10-year NBA veteran. It does not feel like it's gone by that quickly, does it? Well, no, it is not. I can remember writing a column and talking about when Texas signed him. You can, you, you can remember. You, I think I think you can remember columns that you, you wrote in the eighties. I remember when Clyde, when Clyde Drexler signed. Well, Clyde Drexler, yeah, that's hard for you to say. Uh, I, I saw a little note we had in the paper this morning about Eric Lindros being, uh, you know, eligible for the Hall of Fame and probably going to be, you know, voted in the Hall of Fame. I remember when Eric Lindros came into the league you know, in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, holy cow! You remember when Babe Ruth came into the <laughs> league? Oh, almost, Come on, <laughs> almost. <laughs> Kevin is one of the guys who saw Babe Ruth call his shot. He can verify. Kevin, Kevin is the one that said, let, let him say a pitcher. I remember, I remember that column. He needs to be a pitcher. This move to the right field. This move to the right field won't, won't, won't make good for him. No. <laughs> uh, the Red Sox didn't get enough. Mark, it's been great having you on, discussing us, straightening us out when we needed to be straightened out and, and agreeing with us when we needed to have our egos massaged. We appreciate all of that. Uh, your I'm, here to, I'm here person. to do that at any time. I, I, you, you, guys, you know, you're, uh, you're the master. You're the master of saying great questions. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> you guys ask good questions, and I like questions that make me think. Uh, so that's uh, – I don't like just the same old thing, and you guys definitely don't ask the same old thing. Well, so we're really sorry we didn't have Evan Grant with us today because he would have asked the same old questions. Oh, we would have talked about food, Barry. I he, promise you that there would have been food discussion. Well, this this may surprise you, but Evan Grant, when we, we did the uh, Ranger podcast today, the first thing he talked about was his dinner last night in New York City. Had you, had, That's my we, kind of guy. <laughs> we, went, we, went, we went to brunch yesterday at Filament in Deep Element. Have you been there, Mark? I have not, but I've heard great things. It was terrific. We loved it. It was it okay. was All it right. was not cheap. Let me say Evan, that. Evan, Evan well, had I went to, I went to HD Supply on Greenville. For yeah, the that's first a great place. Last night, so that's a, yeah, that's a really good place. I loved it. Yeah, I had I had an Eggo waffle. Eggo waffle <laughs> yeah, yesterday you did. For, for breakfast. And the toaster or the microwave, Barry. <laughs> yeah, toaster. Yeah. Can, can you microwave them? Uh, I think you can. Yeah. Ah. I mean, it might get kind of rubbery if you do that. So yeah, I think well, that's what, that's what I had. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he likes that. It was the buttermilk Eggo waffle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mark, it's great having you on, man pedestrian swill going on in his life for our day, Kevin. You guys, you guys are too much. Oh, it's like, well, we'll talk food. So we'll, we'll, we'll have a, a foodies uh, one uh, discussion. That, on that's good, but, but as for being a guest on the podcast today, I'm going to give you a gift certificate to a box of Eggo waffles. There you, <laughs> Thank you go. Thank you. Much appreciated. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, right, Mark. See you guys. See ya. All right, he was, he was terrific. And as uh, always, we would be remiss if we didn't tell everybody what other podcasts we have. What other podcasts do we have, Barry? 
I no, you, I'm supposed to ask you, but You're we had Evan me? Grant talking about the Rangers and the Rangers road trip, and and uh, talking about Dyson relief pitching and. Talking a lot of stuff, talking about the bad. Evan talking about how he didn't really believe the Rangers when they said that there's nothing the matter with Sam Dyson. Yes, but uh, I don't think I believe them either. Ooh, really? I think there's a possibility there's something the matter. But it's it's a good thing Tolleson Tolleson is coming back and looking okay again. But he's in low leverage situations, and that's and that's well, that's exactly how you want, you want him to be. That's where, that's where you want him to well, be. But frankly, if that's all he ends up being, that's great. If he ends up because because that's what his stuff says he is. His stuff says I'm a I'm a sixth inning guy. I'm a, I'm a guy you bring in and maybe even bring in for a couple of innings. You know, I tell you, you know, we didn't even talk about this on that podcast, but that Cesar Ramos, uh, his numbers don't look good. Cause he's he been one, a godsend. Yeah, one really bad outing, and that was and that's what ruined him. But yes, I think he's terrific. He throws strikes. And he's left-handed. Uh, you can tell he's not afraid when he gets out there um i thought th- th- this is a good note for you when you had dave raymond doing the uh uh broadcast play by play by play on television and that means that steve busby is doing the analysis and, and I, I love steve is what he, what we he, talks, all do. he talks about pitching he's great he's great he was I, a pretty good pitch. you know most people don't realize what a good pitcher he listen, was if he hadn't gotten hurt he'd been a hall of famer yeah two no hitters unbelievable but here's here's the thing about uh about buzz and what he said and when he watched luke jackson pitch, pitch in that game is that all right, everybody keeps talking about Luke Jackson, Jackson's you know uh, pitch ability, and, and this is who he could be. We don't see it, and when you don't see it, you know you should. I think, in my mind, that this team is not in a place to be developing anybody. Uh, it is in a place where it is, right in the major leagues. You know, let's move on. So, and I think I always think of Luke Jackson says. when they mention his name as the old Pan Pan American center who played for the. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Do you remember <laughs> that? Lucius remember that? Jackson. Well, we called him Luke. You called him Luke. Oh, you, you and your pals. He, he went against Willis Reed. It, it was uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah. But anyway, we have that, and we have a Johnny Manziel podcast yes, we do. Uh, coming up. So we'd like to thank everybody for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week with Evan Grant on the phone again. Bye. Bye-bye.